0: Welcome to the Agricultural Economics podcast. This is your host Jessica Eyes and I'm here with my co-host Dr. Ken Foster, head of the Ag Econ department here at Purdue University. How are you, Ken?
1: I'm doing great, Jessica. How are you?
0: I'm doing good also and we have an exciting day going on here. It's our distinguished Ag alum day. That's so right. right.
1: Distinguished yeah. agricultural alumni. There's several people from different departments on campus being celebrated by the College of Agriculture and of course Agricultural economics is well represented in such a cavalcade of (laughs) important people.
0: Indeed, and one of our very own alumni is here today, Scott. Ortman, who's the CEO of Kokomo Grain, and he's yeah. even agreed to join us isn't for a podcast. <laughs> yes. He's very brave, isn't he? Yes. I
1: I have to say, before we turn this over to Scott, I remember when I first came here as a very young, green professor, early on meeting his dad, Mick, mm. and man, that guy was such a gem of knowledge and wisdom, and I remember uh, sitting down with him and talking about, of all things, hog contracting, um, <laughs> yeah. I think at the time. Uh, you guys were getting into that, weren't you, Scott?
2: Yes. Uh, that's the that's <laughs> short answer. And then back out, but probably out. not quick enough. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, that was one of those learning experiences, I think, for all of us. right? It was a new uh, enterprise, and he just had a lot of experience and wisdom, and he kind of told me what the sorts of things farmers were interested in. He did it very, very well. And I just remember I have a very warm spot in my heart for him.
2: So Thank you. Thank you very much. Scott, welcome to back to Purdue. It's great to be here, Ken. So, yeah. And Jessica, thank you for the opportunity. Oh, you're so.
0: welcome. It's yeah. our pleasure.
2: Bringing up my father, when I think about those hog contracts, there's very few things in life that he would have admitted to having made a mistake on because he just did so many things so well. But the hog business for Kokomo Green was probably one of those that we like to call tuition. We paid a lot in and we learned a lot <laughs> when we exited.
1: Well, those learning experiences sometimes make you better at other things. That's why you go to college, right? <laughs> it, 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 we
2: are a very focused company now. There's a joke going around the office that if I were to see a hog on the side of the road these days, I'd probably swerve to hit it <laughs> before I would swerve to miss it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's
1: true. Well, tell, tell us a little bit about the company and the history of the company and how you came to be the CEO?
2: It's a case study, and you never know how life is going to turn out. My father did not start the company. It started in 1950, but he started about three years in. One of his brothers and two local businessmen in Kokomo bought an old, and I mean old, feed mill from the turn of the century in downtown Kokomo, and they were big in cattle. turn
1: of the previous
2: century, the previous turn. 1900. So I think the mill was actually... (laughs) The old wooden mill was built in 1890, and it was a a decrepit, and it had been added so many times that to actually have an exact date on its construction uh, would be impossible. But They decided they needed something to get into the feed business to support the cattle side of their interests. When my father got out of the Marine Corps, he was planning on farming, but his brother said, you know, if you've got a few thousand dollars and saved up, why don't you come back and do some business with us? So he did. And it wasn't long he was in there, and he was like, oh, no, I can just see big things for this. This is something that is very interesting. So over time, we focused, got out of the grain side, got out of all the agronomy side, got out of all the other farm supply side, he was convinced that a grain elevator business would make it and be quite successful and time has proven him correct. That's awesome. So I had grown up in the family business and being so close to it I couldn't see it, to tell you the truth. It was just something that was known, that was done, that was expected and when I came to Purdue and I got my degree I had a little bit of a rebellious streak. I knew I liked the ag world and I wanted to be in the ag-econ kind of trading side of things but I didn't want to work for the family business. I uh, kind of had a chip on my shoulder, wanted to prove I could do it without my father, and I wanted to work overseas, and Kokomo Grain did not, and does not have an overseas component. So I actually went and worked for a competitor, and uh, truth be told, I did not even inform my father. I went and accepted a job offer, and I told him after the fact. So uh, time has allowed me to reflect upon that. So that, that, that was not the way to do things. Yeah. But I ended up having a great career with another company, Continental Grain. I was enjoying it.
1: And did you get that international experience?
2: I had the opportunity, but surprisingly, my boss at the time, when the job was being rumored to be offered to me, said, you need to take your name out of consideration. Mm -hmm. This was a a posting down in Australia. And she said, and I was living in Minneapolis at the time, a young single guy. She said, there's no doubt you will love it. Your personal life will be off the charts great. Australia is a wonderful place, I'm sure. She said, but that's where, in this company, career." go to die so it's oh my gosh she said with the Australian Wheat Board being what it is your chances of being noticed and moving up in the company will be greatly diminished Mm -hmm. so I took her advice and decided to stay domestic at the time And, and how long have you been back with the family business I came back in 1988. So I'd only been with Continental Grain for about three and a half years or so. And my father would make a routine call maybe once a month and just say, you know, how things are going and was I interested in ever coming back. He was very much interested in what I was learning at Continental Grain. He always had his eye on how he could reabsorb that knowledge back into Kokomo Grain. And I was out at Omaha at the time. And this is a well-worn story as well. I tell this so often that you just don't know how things are gonna work out. He called and said, how things are going, and I had been having one of the worst weeks of my life out there. Things were just not going well. I was very disappointed. I was very downcast. And so he said, just to let you know, I know you have some trading experience. I know you have some floor experience. I know you have all this experience with Continental. We have a position that is open right now, and it's not going to stay open for long. I'm either going to fill it with you or I'm going to fill it with someone else. So tell me, right now, what's it going to take for you to come back? So at the time, I was in my 20s, and I was probably still harboring some thoughts that I was probably a little smarter than my father. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately spat out three things off the top of my head. A, B, and C. That's what I require. And so uh, he said, okay, great. You better turn on your two weeks' notice. And he hung up on me. Wow. So that was it. Oh my gosh. My first trade with my father and with Kokomo Grain, I got, in the term of the industry, I got picked off. I could have asked for twice as much and I would have easily got it. So it was a good experience, a good Uh teaching moment. But I came back, I worked for Kokomo Grain, I was the futures and options trader for Kokomo for some time, then became a facility manager. And then, as we started looking at succession, I became chief operating officer, and then in 2003 became the CEO. So, from a boy not wanting to be in the family business to the boy running the family business, it's be careful what you wish for. I don't know <laughs> if it, that's karma or what, but it came back to bite me. What, in full an, it, what an incredible story. It's, yeah. So you never know which way your path is going to go. And is that
1: family legacy going to continue? Is there another generation showing interest? There
2: is, and there's always been another generation. I think that last count, I, this won't be accurate, 18 or 19 grandchildren, oh my in generation number three. So I'm currently generation number two. One of those, in this past year, we have hired our first third generation in the company. Oh, awesome. And we've intentionally made things difficult for the next generation, because just doing the math, a company of our size, We've gotten big, but we're not big enough where we can have a lot of superfluous people. And I can't attract and retain quality non-family members if they're in constant fear of a family member coming in and either disrupting things or taking their job or things like that. So they have to go get a degree. They have to go work for somebody else. And we don't pin it down to an exact date, but it's a significant amount of time. When they come back, there has to be a need for them, and they have to have skills that fit that need. And all that's dependent on the job, obviously. If someone wants to be a controller or CFO, That's a very high hurdle. If someone just wants to be in the family business and is willing to start at the bottom and just work at one of the elevators, that's a little bit lower bar for sure. But we still require that degree. We still require that outside experience. I want to make sure the family understands that we want this to go for a long, long time. You bet, so. yeah.
1: we want it to be successful and want people to really invest in it. Exactly. So.
0: so I don't actually have an agricultural background. Okay. And I'm not entirely sure what a grain elevator is, what Kokomo grain does. Mm-hmm. Can you explain it?
2: We're the first step in many cases on the way to market. So when a producer or a small grain elevator, because we tend to have large grain elevators, when that grain moves, it moves into our facility. And we like to think of ourselves as a warehouse for grain. When you think about it, the demand for grain products is 365 days around the year. Harvest, the supply of it, only occurs for a very few short weeks. So those end users, the exporters, processors, the feedlots, whoever, their capital is better deployed in their core operations. So they're not going to build something to hold a year's worth of supply. So I will buy the grain. I will hold it off market until the market calls for it and says, I need it. It's now May 15th. I need three trains of corn down in North Carolina, something like that.
0: Why is it called an elevator?
2: Because that's the way things work. Uh, You elevate the grain, you gain altitude, and you gain that potential energy. So then the grain typically, although it sometimes is motivated by electricity, it will slide. After you elevate it, it slides into another place somewhere else in the elevator. So you're constantly elevating grain, gaining elevation, and then moving it elsewhere in the elevator. At least that's what I suspect. Yeah, That's it's, it's, it's a, a that's good answer. <laughs> I've, I've, I've never had yeah. anyone explain yeah. it to me, but yeah. I, that's what well, I, I we imagine. were
1: kids, right, all the contraptions to carry this stuff up were called elevators. Um, I can remember my father saying, the grain. if you
2: can figure out a, a more efficient way to elevate grain, he says, you will have the golden ticket. He you said, bet, yeah. figure out a way to cut our electrical bills, and yeah. that's the golden goose.
1: So how's the business changed over time?
2: It's amazing. Little sleepy old agriculture is what I like to say is no longer sleepy agriculture agriculture, technology of all the industries in the world, and I don't have any exposure to those, but when I look at what technology has done to agriculture, it's astounding. The It used to be the key component on uh, agriculture was water, either the lack of or too much of water. Now it's how much silicon do you have somewhere? Do you have a silicon wafer, a computerized process to plant the corn, to harvest the corn, to put the nutrients in the ground. My own elevator is highly computerized moving the grain here and there with safety features to keep me from mixing grain or to keep people from getting hurt, things like that. It is all over the place and then that's just not even touching on the genetics part of it. In the old days the genetics of corn when coconut grain started 1950, I should look this up, but I'm guessing the average Indiana yield in 1950 was probably somewhere in the range of 60, 65 bushels an acre. And now we look at, guys are very disappointed if they're not doing 200 bushels an acre. Mm -hmm. So in in the space of one lifespan, of one farmer, because I would imagine Kokomo grain still has a few farmers that were coming to us as children in 1950 that are still coming to us, riding along as a a great-grandfather coming to the elevator. Mm -hmm. To see that kind of innovation and the size, mm-hmm. just amazing. The little country elevators used to adopt the landscape. And now, if you don't have a terminal, you don't have an elevator for long, it seems like. It
1: seems like the market for grain is constantly evolving with more and more specialized end uses. Ethanol and particular mm-hmm. varieties of corn that are enhanced for different end uses. Is that changing the business?
2: It does. And, boy, that's a big concern of mine because, in the end, we supply what the customer wants, as long as the customer <laughs> is willing to pay for it. because for a long time we've had these customized traits where people will want certain things out of the corn or the beans or something like that but they've not historically been willing to pay for it that has changed somewhat over time but the markets become more fragmented and that's a concern to me because my business is commodities all my facilities are built to handle high volumes in an efficient manner and truthfully if i'm going to have eight varieties of corn, that does not suit itself for the way my facilities mm-hmm. are currently set up. So I have to decide which way is this trend coming? Is it going to be something I really need to get out in front of? Is this something I need to fight?
0: It's hard to know which way that trend is going to go. If you
2: figure it out, if you'd let me know. I, I have a <laughs> big time check waiting for you. So. I'm
0: still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> it's almost
1: one. Any messages for our students, Scott, in terms of what it takes to be successful or what sorts of skills and things they should be investing in?
2: I think students today are probably better prepared than any student including my own class. I was very much focused. I get the degree and I get out and that and I get the job experience. Well, just from my own experience, you never know which way your path is going to take you, but it's the things that you don't learn in the classroom that are probably as important or even more important these days. The idea of coming to a Purdue University And not being able to choose your classmates, your teammates, and the people you live with, work with, and have uh, interactions with, those are skills that are in such high demand in the business world that I can take just about anybody with a reasonable brain, and I can make them into a really good grain trader, I believe. But if I take someone who has deficient people skills, doesn't know how to communicate, that is a much higher hurdle to clear. I would much rather have someone with no ag background that is a a terrific communicator and a terrific person and that engenders respect and friendship, things like that. I can really make a lot with that. That if you give me a wonk that just knows how to crunch numbers, there's a role for that, don't get me wrong, but my job becomes a lot easier when I have good materials like that to work with.
1: All right, all those kids out there listening that come from non-ag backgrounds, there's a great future in agriculture. No,
0: I can speak for that
2: (laughs) myself. That's right. That's that's not to say an ag background is not important. We still love those ag kids.
1: Well, hopefully uh, what we're doing, Scott, here is investing in both of those sides of the coin and giving some great potential employees to the industry. Terrific.
0: So Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Again, for those who are listening, this is Scott Ortman, who's the CEO of Kokomo Grain and who joined us today in the department as our distinguished Ag Econ alumni. You've been listening to the Agricultural Economics Podcast. Again, this is Jessica Eyes here with Ken Foster. You can go ahead and follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook or check us out on the web
1: at www.agecon.purdue.edu.
0: Thank you.